this passage here in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 3 all the way through verse 14. Uh, if anyone asks you why you have hope, if anyone asks you why you believe in Christ, if anyone asks you why it is that you're a Christian or why it is you go to church or what it is that that means, what it is people are talking about when they talk about believing in Jesus, this is a place where you can take them. I want to read today out of verses 3 through 10 and then pray over the word as we receive it. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Father, we thank you. We do thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it for us. And Lord, as we talk about the things that different individuals, even governments, empires have tried to do to squash this word, to take it away, to wipe it off the face of the earth, every single one of them has been unsuccessful because this belongs to you. And you said heaven and earth may pass away, but not my word. And you won't let them remove it from the earth until it has accomplished everything that you sent it to do. And I thank you that we read in it today what you have done in our life, what you're doing in the earth. And we thank you for faith to see clearly in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So last week we started with blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about how he has blessed us with all the blessings in the heavenly places that he's chosen us before the foundations of the world, that he's predestined us to be adopted as sons of himself according to his good pleasure. So we see the Father there in those first few verses. This week we see the Son, we see Jesus Christ. And starting there in verse 7, it says, in him, in who? In Christ. We talked about that in Christ last week, that all those things that we've received, that he's blessed us with those spiritual blessings in Christ, that he's chosen us in Christ, that he's predestined us for adoption in Christ. And it says, in him, we have redemption. In him, we have redemption. That word redemption means release. To set free. A release that's brought about by paying a ransom to accomplish it or to bring it about. This is where we get those phrases that we use that he bought you back, that he bought you out. 
right? That's redemption language. It says here, redemption is what we have. In him we have redemption through his blood. How his blood, his blood is how we have it. Redemption is what we have. And then it says, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's what we have the redemption from. So we're going to talk about that today. But that word redemption, ransoming someone who is a prisoner of war or who is a slave. It's freeing someone from the penalty of death or from a life of enslavement. Because if they are a prisoner of war, they would have been condemned to die. Or they are a slave and they are sentenced to that for life, which would have only ended in death. So you see, he's already starting out with a vivid picture here. Redemption. He's like, redemption is what we have in Christ. That we were in this prisoner of war situation. We were in this enslavement situation. There's no hope to get out. You, you picture the children of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. They could do nothing to get themselves out of that situation. Every time this word is used, it's painting a picture of delivering a people or a person from a situation that they were powerless to remove themselves from. They could not get themselves out of this situation. They couldn't get themselves out from under this penalty because they couldn't ever pay it. Right. And we see other when Jesus tells the parable of the uh, unjust servant. Right. You owe me. You can't pay me. You will be a slave to me until you can pay me all that you owe. And the amount was astronomical. This is what we picture in this when he's saying in him, we have redemption. It reminds us, especially as believers, that there is a weightiness to sin. There is a weight to wickedness and us in ourselves are powerless to do anything about it. We're powerless to set ourselves free from it. Remember last week we talked about how Christ has given us a better option. Because we have to decide in whose righteousness are we going to stand? Whose name are we going to claim? Is it my own? Am I going to, I'm Stephen and I'm going to stand in the best that I can do. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to get is all that I can do. Am I standing in my own righteousness or am I standing in his? And when we're standing in our own, that powerlessness that we feel can be overwhelming because we have in ourselves in our hearts in your soul you have a desire for perfection for things to be right for things to be the biblical word is righteous things to be as they ought to be that's what we want that's what we want at our core every single person that is what we want we want everything to be as it ought to be. Guess what? It's not that way. It's not that way. So what are we going to do? We have a desire for perfection. We don't have in ourselves the ability to bring it about. And that makes us feel powerless. First, we feel uninformed. Like if I just learn more, then I'll know what I need to do to make this right. And the more we learn, the more we realize that it's not there. Well, I just need to accumulate more things I just need to get more stuff and then it'll seem right. No, 
I need to get more friends. I need to have better relationships. That's the problem. This relationship, they're not a good person either. I need to get a better person. And over and over and over, the weight of that desire for perfection matched with the powerlessness to bring it about results in just misery for us. In him, we have redemption from that. We have redemption by his blood. That's how we have, it's how we have it. And our sins and trespasses being forgiven, that's what he's redeemed us from. Listen, we cannot let this get far from our mind. We can't let this get far from our mind as believers. We have to keep it close. It can't become commonplace for us. It can't. We spend so much time on so many other things that don't match what it is that I just said. We don't spend enough time on it. When we talk about things that we're thankful for, how often does that rise to the top of the list? Right? When we talk about, well, you should be thankful. You're having a bad day. Well, you should be thankful. At least you got out of bed this morning. You should be thankful. At least you can stand. Some people can't stand. You should be thankful you can see. Some people can't see. You should be thankful you can hear. Some people can't hear. You know, you hear all of these things, and that's all fine. You should be thankful for all those things. But above and beyond that, you can be standing, seeing, hearing, talking, and still be lost for eternity. We have this redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and it is and always will be our greatest need. It's not just the avoidance of a punishment. It's not just he saw a train coming and he pushed us out of the way and we didn't get hit by the train and we're like, whew, thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right. Well, see you later. And as I was we were back here in worship, I was thinking on that. And then the spirits ministering to my heart is like we can treat it more like the oil and lube place. Like we get the cars in there and we say, oh, my gosh, you've got a recall on your car. You've got this thing that's wrong with your car. It's going to cause it to just burst into flames and you'll die. But all we got to do is swap out this part for this one and then you're good. All we got to do is just swap it out and you would go, whew, man, dodge the bullet there. And you might tell your spouse about it when you got home. You might tell people at work about it the next week. And you're never going to think about that again, are you? And that's the way a lot of the church thinks about our redemption. That I pulled through the oil and lube place and they said, hey, this is broken, but we're going to fix it for you. We're just going to swap that out. That's all you need. All right. Have a nice one. We'll talk about this again when you die. We'll mention it at your funeral. Right. It's, it is the most important thing in our life. When we talk about that word redemption, it's nothing even close to that oil and lube example. It's a new life. It's not just getting a part fixed. It's not just, oh, we need to swap this out. We need, we need to get you marked. We need to have you sign the card so that you'll be okay. It is literally dying and being born again. That's what redemption is. If it was the other, we would just preach it once. Again, we wouldn't worry about it anymore. But because it is our life, 
we have to keep it in front of our face. It's a transformation. It's what's changing us from glory to glory. The gospel, that good news, isn't just a part to be swapped out. It's a person to be welcomed into your life. Truths about that person to be accepted and rejoiced in, and then a life like that person to be lived. In Him, we have redemption. We were enslaved to sin and to the powers of this world. You don't get to just stop being a slave. You don't get to just turn in a two-week notice and go, I'm not happy here. I don't like this. I think I'm going to try something else. You don't get to do that when you are enslaved to something. You don't get to turn in a two-week notice and then bounce. That is what you are. When it's talking about this redemption in Jesus Christ, it's from a life that we couldn't escape. We've been redeemed, bought out, delivered. And he said bought out and redeemed what? Through his blood. His life given for you. His death on the cross. Why does it talk about blood? Why do we talk about his blood all the time? The life is in the blood. That's what scripture says. So when it says it was his blood, it's reminding you he gave his life. And there's the sacrificial tie in in there that is to purchase something out. It's to atone for our sins and to remind us that he had blood like we do. Incarnate in human flesh like we are. The Lord of heaven, who should have been the most offended by our sin. You know, I'm offended by your sin. You're offended by mine, aren't you? He should have been the most offended because it's all against him. It's all against him. As sinners, that's what we are. We're rebels against the throne of God because we're telling him, I don't need you. I'm going to do it myself. Sin is man's attempt to be God in his own life. You know who should be most offended by that? God himself. But the, the one who should have been the most offended gave his own life to set the offenders free. He died so that the offenders could go free. What is it that enslaves you? What is it that you can't whoop? What is it that you are powerless against? He died to set you free from that. He died to set you free from that and from the power of it. In him, we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, this doesn't just mean fishing somebody else's pond or hunting on somebody else's land. It means we crossed a line with him. We got over somewhere we shouldn't have been with him. And when somebody does that, when somebody sins against you, it creates a debt because they've done something against you. And unforgiveness is when we try to make them pay it. 
We try to extract that payment from them for their sin. It says he forgave us our trespasses, our wrongs, the debt that we owed. It's not what we're used to when it comes to forgiveness. Forgiveness is not what we're used to when it comes to debt. Right? He purchased us by his blood. And having purchased us, we would owe him, right? If I cost this much and he paid that much for me, then he now owns me. But what did he do? He purchased us and then forgave the debt. He paid the ultimate price for us and then forgave the debt that we owed to him. He forgives the debt because he can, because he paid it. Freeing us to not then hear, well, now you owe me. Now you're going to do what I tell you to do. But so we could hear now you're free. Follow me. Not as not compelled as a slave, but as a slave who's chosen to be there. He forgives the debt because he can. And now you're free. Born again, adopted back in verse five. Again, we're not used to forgiveness when it comes to debt. You know, if you're with one mortgage company and you still owe and you're like, I don't be with that mortgage company anymore. I want to refinance. I want to go with this one. They're going to pay you off. All right. Guess what? The debt just moved to the new one. Right. They don't get it and go, hey, we got it now. We're just going to just going to write that off. They don't do that. That's not what they do. How do you get what's the only way you can get rid of it? You have to die. And even then, you know, people say, and I've done that before on collection calls, you know, where you call them and go, hey, you know, checking on this, haven't been paid. They're like, oh, he died. So that died with him. No, his responsibility to it died. You know, he still has an estate. No, this still has to be paid. You don't just have the house now. Don't just get it. But in Christ, that's what happened. He took on our debt and then he chose not to hold it against us. When he says in there, I won't remember your sins against you, people act like he's forgetful. Like he's going, oh, look how you did that. He's God Almighty who's always known everything there ever is to know. He didn't forget your sin. What he did was he said, I'm not going to ever call that against you ever again because it has been paid. I've separated it from you. It's not a part of you anymore. Because in Christ, you died and were born again. So that debt connection that you had, he severed it at the cross. We have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What's your regret? Your biggest one, the one that haunts you, the one that you continue to think about, even though it's been a long time. 
What is your regret that you feel guilty about? Guess what? He forgave you of that. He's not holding it against you. You shouldn't hold it against yourself. You stand innocent. He's the only one that could extinguish that regret. He's the only one. We figured that out, didn't we? Because we try to do it so many other ways. We try to extinguish it so many other ways to, to numb that guilt, to numb that feeling that we have of regret over things that we've done and how we've handled ourselves in the past. We'll do all kinds of things to numb it and try to make it go away. But he is the only one that can extinguish it. And he didn't say, it wasn't like he said, ah, that doesn't matter. Ah, that's not, it's not important. That's really not a big deal. No, he did the opposite. He died to forgive you of that. He went all the way there to forgive you of that. To set you free and bring you new life. His forgiveness is as complete as it was costly. It is as complete as it was costly and he paid so much for it. In him we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. According to the riches of his grace. Romans, and I quote it all the time. It is by faith that it might be according to grace. So that it's sure to all the kids. What does that mean? That it's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you've earned. It's not based on what your name is or where you come from or who you're related to or who you're not related to. It is based in his grace. And faith is the only thing that can believe in that grace. It's another reason we have to keep this in front of us. Because you let a little time go by and you can start to think he wanted me because I'm pretty good. Right. I never felt like this, but you know, you always had those kids in school where you wanted them on your basketball team because they were good. Nobody ever wanted me on the basketball team because I was good, but I would understand how they would want other kids because they were good. You can get to thinking that I'm doing pretty good. Probably, you're, probably, you're probably pretty glad you got me, aren't you? Looking out there, you're probably pretty glad you got me. We can really quick start to think it's because I'm awesome. That's why he loves, because I did a good job, because I obeyed, because I listened. That's why he's happy that I'm in Christ. But it says here, it's according to grace that he richly poured out on us. According to the riches of his grace, means there's so much of it that he richly poured out on us. He gave us so much of his grace. So I don't need to ever get it twisted or as that one coach would say, believe some bull junk. I need to believe some bull junk that that's how I got here. We have to always remember it is by his grace. Never think that you deserve it. It's not based on your worth. It's based on 
His worth. Right? Based on His worth. And that's why we can say think, you know, that old saying, but for the grace of God, go I. Somebody walk by. But for the grace of God, go I. And you may, you may think, but no, I really did. I learned to do better. I, I learned better. I learned to make better decisions. I learned to make faithful decisions and I made good ones and they just need to make better decisions. Let's look at what it says next. According to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He poured out grace on us and he poured out on us wisdom and understanding. Now, those are two different words. One of them, the word for wisdom means like deep things, like knowledge of how life works, like, like really big picture stuff. And the understanding one is like what we would call common sense. How to live an everyday life. How to live an everyday faithful life and make good decisions. So when I'm pointing that out, you even got that from him. You even got that from him. The knowledge that you have, the understanding that you have, that came from him. He richly poured out on you his grace with all wisdom and understanding. All from him and all by his grace. And see, this revelation of grace and understanding of grace and what it is has a profound effect and changes how I see myself and how I see other people. Because when I have that understanding of grace, I can see other people as either a product of redemption or a candidate for redemption. They're one or the other. So we see people in our life and and they're way on down the road as far as we are, as far as following Christ and wisdom in him and understanding and knowledge. And we just see them far off and they're like, man, look at them. They really are better than me. They are a product of the same redemption that you are. They've just been on the road a little bit longer. They're a product of the same redemption that you are, or it, it, it keeps you from ever looking at somebody and going, no, Mm-mm. Yeah, not, I don't think, not, not even you could get this one. They're so pig-headed, bull-headed, they don't listen. They're off just, uh-uh, uh-uh. See, when it's by grace, everyone is either a product of redemption. That's how you got what you have, where you are, or you're a candidate for it. Everyone is a candidate for redemption when it is by grace. And we see it over and over. We hear the stories over and over. People telling you, here's where I was when he came and got me. No human, no person on the earth today could have gone and gotten them from where they were and brought them to where they are. Christ alone can do that. So when we're trying, we don't have this scale that we put people on except to go product of redemption or you are a candidate for redemption. That's what this understanding of grace produces in us. We've got to move a little bit more quickly. Verse nine, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Says he, 
made known to us the mystery. A mystery isn't something that you can discover. It's something you have to be initiated into. It's you got to be shown it. And it says here that he's showing it to us. The mystery of his will or what it is he plans to do. That's another reason why we have to keep this in front of us. Our redemption by his blood, uh, forgiveness by grace is a part of a bigger picture. Not to say it's not important, but it's an important part of a big picture. This is not an individual or personal situation. Again, this is global. This is cosmic. What he is doing. What he has purposed to do in Christ. According to the good pleasure of his will. What's he doing? At the right time. A plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ. Both things in heaven and things on earth in him. To bring everything together with Christ at the head. Things in heaven and things on earth. Some of what we were talking about at the very beginning. There is discord in our universe currently. Right? We feel that. Scripture says creation feels it. We feel it. Everybody's groaning. Like, golly, how much longer is it going to be like this? We feel that. Creation feels that. And we seek and long for that discord to turn to unity. That's what we want. We all want that. It goes back to that desire for perfection. And what he's telling us here is that what we long for will be completed under the headship of Jesus Christ. He is in charge and his authority will be applied across every single thing. That's what it is that we want. Remember last week we talked about my brother runs this place. My brother's in charge here. He's the manager here. That's simplification of what it is. He is in charge. Now that doesn't mean we get to a certain day and everybody and everything is automatically in. That's not what it means. I wish it meant that, but it doesn't. Scripture's pretty clear on that. You remember John the Baptist when he was talking about the Messiah, he said his, his winnowing shovel is in his hand. He'll clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff will burn with fire that doesn't go out. Whoever, human, spirit being, whoever, who persists in opposing Jesus Christ and his lordship will have to be put under his feet. Will have to be put under his feet. Again, person, principality, power in the spiritual realm. Whoever persists in opposing him will have to be put under his feet. But for those who stand in Christ, we get to rejoice in that unity of everything being brought together under his headship. Why the time in between is called grace. So that you get to be his brother instead of his footstool. Peter said, don't think him slack regarding the promises. Right? Again, Ephesians is about, he's creating new people. 
a new society with new relationships and new standards, starting in the church and expanding out into eternity. Okay, I got to be done. These types of things that we're talking about that we've got to hold in front of us. A lot of people use the word doctrine. This is doctrine. It's truth. That, that does, it, it, when I read those things and I, and I lay them on my heart, it, it prompts worship, doesn't it? To just go, you did that for me. In spite of me, you did that. And then also duty to go, this is a new life in you. I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. I want to be a part of what it is that you're doing. Not to get to be a part, but as a part, I want to walk like you walk. He has changed us. He is changing us. We who have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to his grace, richly poured out on us in all wisdom and understanding and understanding that he is also doing something bigger than we can comprehend. And we'll see it more as we go through the book of Ephesians. Today, I do want us to take communion together. I'm going to go ahead and have, uh, Kayla, will you help hand this out? Let's pass them around. We'll end our service with that today. Who's welcome at the communion table? All believers. All believers who would partake are welcome at the table. Please join us in that because he welcomes us at his table. As we do it today, we want to do it with these things in mind. That we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That everyone is either a product of redemption, praise the Lord, or a candidate for redemption, praise the Lord. I saw this quote, I'll probably share it later. As I was studying this, Jesus still makes bad people good. I love that. Jesus still makes bad people good. Who was bad? All of us. When held up against the standard of a holy God, we were all bad people. Equally bad people. Not a ranked bad. We were all bad. And Jesus came to make bad people good. He died the death that we owed for our sins and our trespasses and gave us his righteousness and a new life in him. Amen. As you prepare that there, one thing we always want to do when we approach the table is to consider our own heart to see whether or not we be what? In the faith. In the faith. Do I believe what he said here in Ephesians that I have redemption. How? Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Communion is one of the things. That's why he told us to do it regularly. As often as we do it, to do it in remembrance of him because we need to keep it in front of us. We need to keep in front of us who we were, what he did, and who we are in Him.
Amen. Father, as we approach your table, I thank you that you don't invite us to join you and you don't join us there. We thank you that you are present with us and Lord, even more so, Colossians tells us we're present with you. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the mystery and the magnitude of the table. Forgive us our sins according to your grace. I thank you that we will see our sins as forgiven because it's according to your grace and your mighty power that you worked in Jesus Christ. That we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of your grace, which you have richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Help us to see it more clearly. And as we take the bread, Christ took the bread and said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat. Father, that we are nourished by your sacrifice. We are fed by what you endured on our behalf. The death that should have been our destroyer, you have turned into something that satisfies us and strengthens us us. And we thank you for that as we partake of the bread together in the name of Jesus. Christ took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Father, we thank you that having redeemed us, you have set us free. You didn't just fix a part and send us on our way. But you led us through death and dying in Christ Jesus. Laid in the tomb with him and raised to new life in him. That just as he got up We walk in newness of life, paid for by your blood. It was a price we couldn't pay. We were going to suffer under it all of our life until we were destroyed by it. But you bought us out, bought us back because we should have been with you to start with. And then you forgave us the debt and gave us an inheritance in Christ Jesus magnitude of your goodness towards us and your grace that accomplished it. We worship you today as we partake today and every day of the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you again for the miracle, the mystery, and the magnitude of the table that you have prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies here on this earth. And we eat with you. You've provided for us. And I thank you that you are bringing into unity everything in heaven and on earth in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I thank you that we'll see more clearly our own redemption, that that is what we are a product of, that you have irrevocably changed us forever, and that we will begin to walk more in that grace, more in that wisdom and understanding, and it'll change how we see you, it'll change how we know that you see us, and it'll also change how we see others, that everyone is a candidate for redemption. I thank you that you're opening eyes, that you're shining the light of the gospel in dark places, that those who sit in darkness have seen a great light in Christ Jesus. And I thank you that Christ will reign forever and ever more. Lord, as we get ready to go, I thank you that we leave together in the unity of the faith with one another. Protect us. Keep us safe. Those that are out traveling, Lord, bring them safely home to us. Those that are working, that they would do so as unto your glory, as part of your family. And Lord, if anyone's ill or weak in their body today, Lord, the same blood that paid for our forgiveness has paid for our healing. And I thank you, Lord, that you make them whole here today. Strengthen them now in the inner man first and the outer man following as a byproduct of that. I thank you that you've given us everything that we need in Christ because of your great love poured out for us. And Lord, as we go through this week, that we will remember and hold closely at hand, it's in Christ that we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of your grace, which you have richly poured out on us in all wisdom and understanding. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.